Episode 90, am I a hard worker or a workaholic? I'll give you the answers this week. Stay tuned. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I use my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Two quotes to start out with this week. The first one's from Oprah Winfrey who says, I've learned that you can't have it all and do it all both at the same time. And musician Dolly Parton once famously said, don't get so busy building a career that you forget to build a life. Hello and welcome back, everybody, to Life Amplified. Thank you for setting 30 minutes out of your day today to work on yourself, to take in some inspiring content. And I think that this is such an important topic because even if you are not a workaholic, if you have a healthy relationship with work, you may very well have people in your life who are over the line, that they just can't pull themselves away from the desk. And in fact, uh, a study that I saw that was released last year said 48% of Americans self-identify as workaholics. We are proud of it. You know, it's the interesting thing about addiction is most of the time, we're in denial if there's an addiction. If you've ever seen somebody who says, you know, that they don't need to quit drinking, that they can stop whenever they want, to the cocaine addict who's like, hey, I'm going out for one more party and then I'm going to give it up. Denial is a big aspect of most addiction, you know, and it's not something that we're typically proud of. We carry a lot of shame around it. I just saw the movie Uncut Gems right before the holidays. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but Adam Sandler plays this degenerate gambler who just every time the money comes in, he's pushing it back out, letting it ride on another basketball game. And it's so uncomfortable and anxiety inducing to watch is you just watch this guy destroy his life, destroy his marriage. You know, he can't get out of his own way to the point, and I don't want to give away spoilers, but at the end of the movie, uh, if you've seen it, you know how it ends. I was relieved on behalf of the character that things ended the way that they did. But why don't we ever have that same level of judgment or shame around workaholism? In many instances, I feel like we take pride in it. You know, because work is such a source of our identity, it becomes a source of our value. You know, we put on the badge of honor when we're burning the midnight oil. There are actually studies out there that say people inflate their number of hours worked over what it actually is, because I think on some level, we're just trying to either impress a boss to get the praise and validation that we didn't get as a kid. You know, that would certainly be the anxious attachment relationship to work. And even if you're not, you could be avoiding attachment and be completely stuck at work is a way to run from or hide other emotional issues. So we're going to get into this today. What are the signs that really differentiate between being a hard worker with a strong work ethic and being a straight up workaholic. We're also going to talk about if the number of hours you work is really what determines a work addiction or not. 
And I'm going to give you four questions that you can use if you believe that work has become a compulsive or even an addictive force in your life. Before we get into all that, I do want to shout out our listener of the week. That is Lisa Navone. She is a member of our Life Amplified Power Tribe, uh, also an Instagram follower. She recently listened to the episode we just did about raising your inner value. She says, I happened to be driving for a while and my husband was with me. He just quit a job of 18 years due to stress and inability to communicate with his boss about how he was feeling about the situation. This job was affecting our home life. He's had a few moments naturally questioning his decision, but this is going to be a game changer for him. I was pleased to see him nodding his head during your podcast, and he shared a few issues with me he was having about the decision. He's not one to express his feelings in a constructive way or to express really emotional issues. Just wanted to tell you that your podcast and other forms are reaching us, and we appreciate your positive energy and insight. Lisa, that means the world to me, and I am so happy for your husband that he's cut the cord. If, if you've been a longtime listener to the podcast, you know I was in a soul-sucking, stressful career where I was overworked and overwhelmed, and that was it for 18 years before I walked away. So I definitely relate to that. And one quick coaching point that just stands out to me, and I think that this is, you know, I'm speaking to Lisa and her husband, but really I'm speaking to the entire audience, no matter where you're listening from. It almost reads to me in this note that the cause of stress wasn't so much about the number of hours worked, but the stress was in the inability to communicate with your boss about the stress that you're feeling. That becomes a very big red flag. So often we think if we just change the environment that we're going to get our needs met and we're going to work less. When in fact, if there is a pattern of avoidance or if there is some anxiety around speaking up for yourself and setting a boundary and asking for your needs, that pattern will very much show up in the next job. And in fact, it seems like until recently, this was something that was showing up in the marriage also. You know, Lisa was saying that her husband isn't one to express his feelings in a constructive way. So how you do one thing is how you do all things. If you're not able to speak up for your needs at work, you're probably not doing it at home, with friendships, with your parents, with your children, or anybody else in your life. So make sure that you get a little curious there around where that pattern stems from get some mentorship and support this year so that you can really move beyond that pattern and not find yourself in just another soul-sucking job for 18 years afterwards. Let's dive in to workaholism. In terms of work and mental health, you know, there's not a ton of deep dive research on this yet because workaholism for reasons I will never understand is not recognized by the DSM which is the manual that most mental health practitioners would use to make a diagnosis. Workaholism is not recognized as an addictive behavior the same way that alcohol or drug addiction or gambling addiction is. And I think that's a mistake. I do think it's something that is going to be corrected in the years ahead because anything in your life can become an addiction if you're using it as a way to run from feeling unpleasant feelings. You know, there's a lot of people who are purpose-driven, who are running toward a goal bigger than themselves. 
And those are people who tend to have a healthier relationship with work. I go in and out of phases in it. I mean, I'm the amplified career guy. Best believe there are some days when I'm working 10 hours, 12 hours, writing marketing emails, doing Facebook ads, creating the video content that you see up on my Instagram page where I have the subtitled coaching videos that I'm sharing with you this year. I may very well work 10 to 12 hours. And then there's other days When I work an hour and a half, two hours, coach two clients, and I'm done for the day. But if you are moving towards something bigger than yourself and your work energizes you and fills you up, that's very healthy. Workaholism can be a lot of times when you're using work is a way to run away from unpleasant feelings. And so often people, you know, blame it on, well, you don't understand. There's so much corporate pressure But that has nothing to do with it. I used to use that excuse back in the day as well. Corporate pressure is no more responsible for creating workaholics than liquor stores are for creating drunks. Workaholism is almost a a variation of an obsessive compulsive disorder. And it's really about the inability to turn off work ever, that you have no balance. Even when you're not working, you're obsessively thinking about it. And in many instances, people who are workaholics are stressed when they're not working. Now, there are people with a strong work ethic who may very well be the first one in the office handling tons of work. They do it really efficiently. They do it well, but they know when they step out of that building at five o'clock, they are relaxing and they're enjoying their life away. I once used to work with a colleague in the radio industry who would get in in the summers at 4.30 in the morning and he would work hard every day until about 2, 2.30. He'd be there from 4.30 to 2.30, first one in the building, but he would walk out of that office at 2.30 because he wanted to go play golf with his kids in the summer. Got all of his work done, but when he was disconnected, he was not mentally there in the office. He was engaged as a father. Now, workaholics, on the other hand, tend to come from dysfunctional homes, and there is some subconscious patterning that they've learned that says putting in these crushing, overwhelming hours can help give them control and calm their anxiety about other aspects of life. And that's not true, by the way. It never works that way in reality. You know, just like if you're binge eating, which was a problem for me back in the day, it only sort of masks an underlying problem that's happening beneath the surface. So I'll give you an example from a recent coaching call. Uh, One of my clients, super high achiever, uh, has done amazing things in her career, made great money, but she has been running this story most of her adult life that says, if I'm working all the time, I'll make money. And then if I have tons of money, I am safe. And maybe you've even used the money excuse in the past too. Well, I have to work this hard because the money is what provides the security. And as we talked about last week, nothing outside of you can provide any true emotional content. You have to generate it within yourself if you're looking for lasting and meaningful transformation. But what we got to the core of in this coaching call, because the work had also become a hindrance to the social life. This particular client was isolated, not getting out, not making time uh, for physical health and for activities that she deeply cared about. So as we started to examine the root of the workaholism, it wasn't really about creating money, but it was very much about safety. What we uncovered is that she grew up in a home where there was a lot of abuse. 
like really traumatic stuff, like the big T traumas happening in the home. And what she learned is if she was super active and involved in all sorts of act after school activities and very focused on her education and all these extracurriculars, then it meant that she could be away from the home and therefore she would be safe. So the identity of the overachiever is not something that she was born with. In fact, there's no real research that says that we're born with a personality. Introverts and extroverts don't really exist at birth. It's more subconscious patterning and how we've been conditioned to be. But she had taken on this identity of being an overachiever because it literally removed her from some toxic, abusive situations in her home. And furthermore, the more she achieved and was recognized for all the activities she did at school, the more the abusive parent would show up and give verbal affirmation. So you can imagine how this would create some disorganized attachment. On one end, like I need to work all the time to be physically safe from an imminent threat in my home as a child. And on the other hand, uh, if I continue to work hard, I'll actually get some real love and validation from my caretakers. But in that moment, workaholic is absolutely born. So we talked about, you know, the two kinds of achievers. There are people who are moving toward a goal that is bigger than themselves. But in this example with this client, that's somebody who's got an away from goal, that they're engaging in the behavior just to run away from physical pain. And if you're a person who identifies as a workaholic, this is what we want to get clear on. And this could be the biggest determining factor on whether you're a hard worker or a workaholic. Are you moving toward a goal that energizes you, lights you up, and you can bring that positive energy home and share it with the people around you where you're fully engaged with life? Or is the working really driven by anxiety? And is it driven by your attachment patterns? You've heard me talk about this idea a lot about childhood attachments. You know, people who are anxious attachment will collapse on themselves because they are seeking approval or validation. The anxious attachment employee who is working all the time is doing it because they want to be liked. You know, they're taking on the work of six people uh, because they can't say no and they're terrified that they're going to let their boss down. You know, somebody who is avoidant attachment will stay in the office all the time because there is some other emotional content they're trying not to feel. They don't want to engage at home because the marriage is on the rocks and they don't want to have the tough conversation. And in either case, all this time at work, creates a lot of tension and it creates a lot of unpleasant emotions. You're either anxious that you're going to get fired if you're not doing enough or, you know, you're just taking on the work because you don't even think that you can ask for help as an avoidant. You're like, F it, I'll do it all myself because I cried out as a kid and nobody showed up for me. So I've got to do all this on my own. So you can stay chained to the desk, and yet there are very real consequences that happen on the back end of this. Spouses and partners of workaholics will be the ones who complain that their partner is never there. And even if they're there physically, they're not present emotionally. They're always tuned out. Their face is buried in the cell phone because they can't get away from work for two seconds. The divorce rate, where one spouse is a workaholic, is 55% compared to 16% 
in marriages where no spouse identifies as a workaholic. Other research suggests that while men work significantly more as workaholics, that this affects women too. 85% of men, what an insane number, are working more than 40 hours a week. But ladies, 67% of you are doing the same thing. American workers putting in nearly 500 more working hours every year than people in France. That's like adding an additional 12 weeks of work every year. And we become vacation avoidant. We're afraid work will pile up out of our absence that there's, or that there's going to be too much to do when we come back. So this is why literally half of the workforce last year left vacation days on the table and a little more than one in five employees left a week or more of vacation on the table. And what about physical health symptoms? We know that workaholics are more prone to things like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, uh, cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, you name it. Not even to mention, you know, things like depression and anxiety. But there's been some research that Harvard commissioned. And what they found is employees who worked long hours but didn't obsess about work in their off hours actually reported fewer health complaints than employees who demonstrated workaholism. Workaholics, whether or not they worked more hours, reported more health complaints, including more sleep problems, more cynicism, more emotional exhaustion, higher blood pressure and cholesterol, more depression, you name it. So what are the top five signs of being a workaholic? 54% of workaholics say that they prioritize work before their personal life. 51% say that they worry about work on a day off. Half of workaholics say that they struggle to switch off when they're on vacation. 48% admit to getting up in the middle of the night just to check email. And 46% say that they're the first person in the office and the last to leave. So the question is, what do we do about all this? If you are a workaholic, if you're married to a workaholic, what becomes the action steps that are going to help you move forward with grace and with ease and with a sense of peace? You know, one of the big hallmarks of workaholism is literally they get anxious when they're not working. So what do you need to do? Number one, you have got to uncover the real issue because work is not the issue. It's anxiety. It's fear of rejection. It is the fear of asking for help or the inability to trust other people to delegate work. The issues could be a craving for approval. And it's all about your attachment patterns. You know, how you learn to connect emotionally and psychologically as a child with your caregivers will show up in your work relationship, just as it will in your romantic relationships and in your relationship to money with risk taking, etc. This is where having a qualified coach or mentor is going to be everything for you. If you're simply trying to treat the problem at the level of the behavior and saying, well, okay, I'm just going to work less this week, your nervous system is not on board with that. Just like the client I shared earlier who had a lot of childhood trauma wrapped up in the need to work, your nervous system, for some reason, does not feel safe to shut it off. And until that gets addressed, 
you're going to stay on the hamster wheel. It's going to be another lost year, and you'll be doing it in five years, 10 years, until your family is standing over you on your deathbed. That's the reality. Issue number one, we've got to uncover the real issue. And I also want to give you four questions that you can start to journal on on your own that will help you begin this process. This is not the end-all be-all, but I think it is a great starting point. Number one, if you're a workaholic, I want you to consider what am I trying to prove? Why do you feel like you're somehow incomplete or not enough? What is putting in all these hours? What? How is it meeting a need for you? And what are you trying to prove? And who are you trying to prove it to, by the way? I think that those are all very interesting questions as a starting point. Number two, what am I trying to escape by working so much? This question can work for any addictive behavior, alcohol, drugs, sex, you name it. You know, at the end of the day, we engage in compulsive or addictive behaviors because we don't want to feel. Your smartphone, same way. Have you ever been anxious or been nervous about starting a new project and perfectionism kicks in? You're like, oh my God, what if I do it wrong? And then you're scrolling through Instagram. What is it that you're trying to escape? Number three, what do I need in this moment when I want to go back to my computer at night, when I want to be in my cell phone, what do I really need? Is it reassurance? Is it love? Is it connection? What is the emotional need that you're trying to meet in that moment? Because whatever that emotional need is, if you're going to work 60 hours a week in order to meet it, that's a low-level coping mechanism. It's not sustainable. We want to find higher level ways for you to meet the need, which is why the fourth question is, how can I give myself that thing that I'm craving in a healthy way? You know, if working hard gives you a sense of love and appreciation, so can being present with your children, so can being present with a spouse, so can calling up an old friend and meeting them for coffee can meet that need for connection. What is the void you're trying to fill and how do you meet it in a healthy way? Those four questions become everything. So the second step that I want to give you here, if you're trying to overcome workaholism in 2020, is you've got to pay attention to your personal life. You have got to find meaning in other things besides work. Because you know what? Your job is not going to be there with you when you're on your deathbed one day. You know, all the the stock options, the employee of the year trophies, what are they going to mean when you're laying there taking those last few breaths. Life is about relationships. You can find value in that. You can find value in hobbies. You can find it in your religion or your spirituality. You can find value in your personal health. But once you start to look for meaning in other areas, the compulsive need to find it in work will dissipate. And I'm not talking about don't work hard, but work hard in something that is adding value to your life. And let's get your priorities in line. Number three, let's set a disciplined schedule. You know, you have got to make an agreement. Can we try it for a week that you are out of the office every day by 530 at the latest? You show up on time. You work hard. You work with productivity. And then whatever is not done, you leave it on the desk and you get to it the next day. You know, the, the most important thing that you can do, I go through so many goal setting systems with my clients, but if you know what the three most important goals are that are in front of you right now, and you are taking three action steps to achieve them every day, 
you're doing better than 99.9% of the world. So let's get disciplined about the schedule. Let's get intentional. And also, step number four, I want you to be intentional just about disconnecting. When you're on the job, you be the best sales executive or doctor or coder or mechanic in the world. You do the best that you can at that job. But when you're not at work, be the best that you can be in those other areas of your life. Be the best parent that you can be. Be the best friend. Be the best sibling. Be the best uh, son or daughter. Turn off the email. Turn off your business phone. You know, <laughs> Cut off the Wi-Fi in your house after 7.30 at night. And I promise the work will still be waiting for you the next morning. The other thing is, is you've got to start using the vacation time. These numbers about the vacation statistics seem to inch up a little bit more every year. You know, you're hoarding these personal days for God knows what, but the people who are taking vacations are happier, they're more fulfilled, they have better perspective, they have expanded awareness because they've gone out and seen the world, they're experiencing other cultures. Take advantage of it. It's there for a reason. And finally, the last step that I would give you is stop suffering in silence. Reach out and ask for support. Find a coach. Find a therapist. Talk to your spouse. I go all the way back to the listener email that I shared at the top of the podcast. How do we build closer relationships with our significant other? We do it through intimacy. We do it through telling the truth and speaking up about what's true for us and what we're experiencing. Having somebody who can be there for you in a really low point and and empathize with you and love you and support you through it, that's the best feeling in the world. But so many times we're afraid to go there because of old childhood patterns. We don't think that we can speak up. We don't think that somebody will meet us halfway. And we never ask for what we need because most of the time we don't even know. We just operate from the same pattern of trying to, you know, consume our needs outside of ourselves rather than going within and knowing who we are and what it is we really want. And here's the thing. I give this message to you today because it's the same message I need to hear myself. And I see entrepreneurs do this. So many people in the coaching space who are still hustling and grinding, and especially in the work that I do, so much of my content is put out online. There's videos and there's quote cards and there's social media, and it can blur the line for me between what is work and what is me just trying to get my own dopamine hit from seeing how many likes an Instagram video got. So I, this is something that I still experience, even though... I'm doing work that is my toward goal. Like I am so moved by this cause of helping people, you know, overcome their patterns and create both a career and a life that they want to get out of bed for in the morning. This is my life's work. This is my mission. But I can still have an unhealthy relationship to the work because I've got old patterns that say, oh, my God, if you're not working hard enough, then you can't be successful. you got to Go, 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 go. Some of that programming that was instilled in me early on. And God, I was the guy in high school who was working two different jobs. And a big part of that even for me was just getting out of the house and away from some of the abuse that was going on in my own home. So I recognize, <laughs> I recognize a lot of these traits within myself. But what I would leave you with today is this. The average life expectancy for a human being is 76 years old. Now, I don't know how old you are because we haven't spoken yet, but in my world, I've got 33 years left on this planet, statistically speaking. How do you want to use them? Do you want to use them in a way that brings you joy? 
what are the experiences that you want to look back on one day, you know, in those final moments and have gratitude for? Do you think that the thing is going to fill you up uh, is going to be because you became, you know, salesperson of the month for January of 2020 for crushing the budget goals? Do you think that your life is going to be fulfilled because you increased that shareholder value by 4% in quarter one? And not that those aren't a benefit. You can be very successful doing those things. But my question is, is does it fulfill your soul? How does it feel to you? Does it feel expansive when you're doing that? Or is there part of you that feels a little guilty? Do you feel the shame? Because you know you're not showing up in other areas of your life. You're not showing up for your physical health. You're not showing up in your relationships with the presence that you would like. You deserve a career and a life that works for you. But I'm telling you, life-work balance does not work if you are depleted, stressed out, and run into the ground because of your job. So what will your life look and feel like another year from now if nothing changes? What's going to be the cost? to your health, to your self-esteem. If there's another year of broken promises, what's going to be the impact on your children? By the way, most of my clients also have got some story about, hey, mom and dad were always working. They were never there. I had to take care of myself. Or they weren't really emotionally present for me, so the one way I could get attention from them is to work really hard and accomplish some stuff. Is that the dynamic that you want to continue? It's probably gone on for generations in your family. It's time to let it go. It is time to step into an amplified life and career. I hope that today helps you get there. To recap the major points, workaholism has nothing to do with the number of hours you work. It has everything to do with the way that you relate to your work. And are you able to shut it off after hours? And very quickly, the steps that you need to take Number one, uncover the real issue. Find a coach or mentor who can help you with your attachment patterns so you can better understand why you do the things you do. Then you can change your life at the level of belief instead of the level of behavior. Number two, we want to make your personal life a priority this year. We want to set a disciplined schedule. We want to get you unplugged and off the electronics. You set the time that you want to do it, but... The more time you're away from the phone, the more time you can engage with life. Use your vacation time. Don't leave it on the table this year. And number six, don't suffer alone. Get some support because you deserve it and you're worth it. I love you. I appreciate you. If it's something that I can help you with, this is my jam. These are the conversations that I love to have with people. You can apply for VIP coaching at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net, or you can just DM me on Instagram. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason. Don't forget, you can also screenshot this podcast, upload it to Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to tag me so I can shout you out. But please share this with the people in your life who need it. Because, again, even if you have a healthy relationship with work, you know people close to you who do not. So please pass this on. And if you're moved to do so, I always appreciate your five-star ratings and reviews up on Apple. Or you can give me a follow here on the iHeartRadio app or whatever podcast platform you're listening on. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity. Turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.